0: Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from
1: Pastor Steve Taboo. We're talking about living this superhuman life today, how we live in such a way that God works through us and it affects everybody around us. And we're going to be looking at how that can be done by everybody in this room today, how God has a purpose and a plan in that and for each one of us. Well, we are going through the Bible from cover to cover If you're here with us for the first week, we have these chronological Bibles we're reading from cover to cover. They're available outside as you leave. You can grab one, they're a gift from our church. We're hoping that everybody will go with us from Genesis to Revelation. Now, if you've made it this far, let me just encourage you, you're a force of the way through, how about that? Celebrate that, yeah, don't give up. Don't give up. You're 25% there, and if you just jumped on board with us, whether you're watching online and you're following online or whether you're here live with us, if you're just jumping on board, this is a good place to jump in, okay, because we're in Judges, and Judges is like a bunch of different short stories, so it's a great time to jump in and start reading from here, and you'll learn all these amazing people, like we learned about Deborah last week. If you didn't get a chance to check that, they're all online. Go back online today we're looking at a guy named Jepsa and let me say this will be my very best sermon ever on Jepsa (laughs) because I've never preached on Jepsa before and hope I never have to again but as I was going through I was like Lord this is such a a weird story I feel like we need to we need to kind of unpack it a little bit and so we are now uh, Billy Graham, as we were talking about Billy Graham's life, one thing that's interesting about Billy Graham's life, if you go back and read the beginnings, when he first felt to call to preach, his very first sermon he preached, he said was eight minutes long. Now, I could relate. I got uh, called to preach when I was 19. My home church gave me a chance to preach shortly after that. I put everything on that paper I knew to preach, everything I could think of. And by the time I got done, I preached a whole whopping seven minutes. And was, uh, people loved me that day. Don't get me wrong. I was a popular preacher at that moment, but it wasn't because of the content. In the same way with Billy Graham, the second. Uh, message that he preached, they did an r- article on him and the two other guys that preached the crusade. And the article from the local columnist said there, there were three men that preached in this crusade this week. One man was exceedingly above the other two. His giftings, his talent, and it wasn't Billy Graham. Said so the second one was okay and kept your attention, but the third one was unremarkable. Guess who that one was? Billy Graham. Right? Why do I say that? Because today we're gonna look at the fact that the the world's gonna tell you who you're not, God tells you who you are. And the world's gonna tell you what you can't do, God's gonna tell you what he's got for you. And so we've gotta we gotta understand that the world wants to keep us from being effective for Jesus because sometimes it's uncomfortable. If we really start loving as Jesus loved, man, it's gonna spread. And for those that don't want that to spread then it's a danger to them and their way of life, as it was to mine before I came to know Christ. And now it lights me on fire. So let's turn to the the book of Judges chapter 11. We're going to be verses 1 through 11 today in Judges. And we're in a period called the period of the Judges. Now, the background of this is the people of Israel were kept in, in slavery for hundreds of years. They were set free They're given this new land. They had to go into the new land and conquer it, and they did. And God told them, now, when you go in this new land, here's the thing. Get rid of all the idols, all the idol worship. Tear down all those things on the hill, these Asherah poles where people go and and do evil things to do this pagan worship. Get rid of all of it so that when you raise your families, you won't have to deal with that. Well, guess what they didn't do? They didn't get rid of all that. So what happens? They follow Christ, uh, follow uh, God for a while. And then as they're following the Lord, then all of a sudden things get easy. They start to coast. As they start to coast, they start taking their eyes off God. As they take their eyes off God, they start putting on pagan gods and start worshiping other gods. God then removes his protection. Other countries come in and take him over. This uh, In this season is the Ammonites. They're now under the authority of the Ammonites and being treated poorly. And and so God raises up a judge, and his name is Jephthah. So we'll start in verse 1. It says, Now Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons. And when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. At about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Because we need you, the elders replied. If you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders, let me get this straight. If I come with you and if the Lord gives me the victory, oh, the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and commander of the army at Mizpah in the presence of the Lord. Jephthah repeated what he had said to the elders. Let's go to the Lord and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you don't judge us by our childhood and the stuff that was done to us, but Lord, you call and equip us according to our willingness to go. Lord, I'm confident in this room there's a whole lot of hurt right now from stuff that's happened to people in the past, and Lord, I don't want to make light of that in any way, so I I pray that your Holy Spirit will go in advance and make that clear to each person. But Lord, I also know that no one can go forward if they're always looking back. That no one can be victorious and, and live for you if they're always regretting and always beating themselves up or just looking at their past and wishing it was something else. So I pray that your Spirit will speak through me. And that we'd see you do some breakthroughs in lives that we can brag on forever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your listening guide, that's the sheet of paper they pass out to you when you come in in the mornings. I always encourage you to get one. It's also on the screen as well, but just a way to keep up with it. The first thing I want you to see is that your past does not define you. Your past is not going to define you. Jephthah had a past. He didn't have a, a easy-peasy start in his life. When he was born, he was born the son of a prostitute whose father apparently had stepped out on his wife, spending time with a prostitute. Now he's got this, this child while also having sons of his own at home. Now, I don't know if he was allowed to eat around the dinner table with the other boys for a while, but I'm pretty sure if he grew up in that same household, he wasn't exactly treated the same as the other boys. And I would imagine that the other boys didn't exactly treat him well at all. So I think we can assume that Jephthah grew up with a very difficult childhood. And I I would guess if we took a, a panel in here, we'd probably find out that 50% or more in this room grew up with a pretty hard childhood. With things that, that you had to walk through that hurt and that even to this day, if you remember those moments, it causes pain. I'm pretty sure that would be a lot of people. Jephseh had that experience. So much so that when he became a teenager, apparently, his older brothers came to him and said, you're not staying with our family. No, get out of town. And Jephthah fled to the next town over. Now, when he did, he it's, it's kind of funny. I look at verse three. It said, soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. I wonder if that this was written in one day. See, these older guys are talking about old times. Let me read your annals there, uh, Oh, let's see, worthless rebels. Wait a minute, Jephthah, why'd you call us worthless rebels? I don't know, because that's what you were at the time, apparently. But that's who Jephthah had around him were worthless rebels. And yet, his past didn't have to define him. And it doesn't have to define you or me. We can choose to be who God's created us to be. I was talking to a young, young man just a couple years ago. And let me tell you, he had had, he had a story that just melted my heart. Had a rough childhood, so much so that he was, had to go to foster care because his parents weren't doing their, their job to take care of him and love him. Went into foster care, bounced from house to house for years until finally he had a couple that, that chose to keep him and and adopt him. And and he admitted that he wasn't the easiest kid, but he was excited to be adopted. And then shortly after he was adopted, just as he was getting to fall in love with his new family, his mom died, his foster mom. And I remember talking to him after that. It was hard. He had such a life of loss. And then it wasn't about eight months later, the foster dad died. And this young man had just turned 18 and had all this loss and pain in his life. And on one hand, I just wanted to sit there and sob with him because it was horrible. And we sat and van and talked and cried and prayed. And on the other hand, I just tried to pour into him and let him know that does not have to be your future. It doesn't have to be who you become yourself. You can be the person that makes that difference. If you will stay in the Word of God, if you'll understand who God called you to be, if you'll understand that, yes, you started with a past that was horrendous, but that does not have to be your future. Listen, moms, maybe you didn't have a great mom that was a great example to you, but what I want you to know is you can be the best mom ever as you walk this faith out and you understand the love of God and you pour that into your kids. Dads, you may be here, and maybe your dad wasn't even at home. I talked to somebody recently, their dad wasn't even present mentally. I know people that they don't even know their dads. But the place you find out how to be a father is in the word of God. As you read the word of God and you see your heavenly father and how he loves you and how he loves all. Friends, You don't know how to be a good friend because you felt like you never had one? Study the life of Jesus. See how he loved his friends called the disciples. See how he chose to serve instead of expect to be served. See how he chose to be the servant instead of wanting to be the chief. As you walk that out, that will change your heart and then it'll spread to those around you. So the one positive thing here we can learn from Jeff's experience is that our past doesn't have to define us. In my life group this week, uh, I'll give Tommy G. Feller, I don't know if he's in the service or not, but I'll give him the credit for the quote because we were wrapping up talking about this kind of thing. And he said, you know, he said, the windshield is a whole lot bigger than the rearview mirror. And I was like, you know what? That's a pretty deep statement. Why do we spend our time looking back? Looking back at the past trying to move forward while driving with the rearview mirror when we got the whole windshield ahead of us. We have our whole lives ahead of us. From this day forward, you you have the chance to be who God has called you to be. But you got to look forward and not back. Now, you ever see those movies where they drive the car backwards and they're like driving like Indy 500? You're like, how do they do that? I went, my wife and I went to Disney. They had the Stunt car thing where they demonstrate how they do everything. You know, they just cut those things in half, turn the motor backwards, and then they're actually driving forward in those. That's how they do that. So even though you thought they were driving that good, looking through the rearview mirror, no, that, it was actually they were driving forwards. I thought, how true that is. Sometimes we look at other people's lives on Facebook and we look at other people's lives, we hear all the positives and, and we think, man, they've got everything. Oh, if I could just look through their rearview mirror my life would probably be different. Truth is, oftentimes they've got it backwards, right? Just posting the positives, making everything look glorious. I just want to challenge you for you and your life, look through the windshield. Look for who God is and what he's called you to and try to walk that out each day. Second thing, don't make rash promises. Oh, this is where Jephthah Whether it's in his pride or in his uh, passionate moment, he makes a rash promise. In Judges 11, 29 to 33, he's he's in the midst of this this war, and he makes a rash vow to God. God, if you give me victory, I will dot, dot, dot. And that's what we're going to say. So Judges 11, starting in 29. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah in Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Okay. I'm going I'm to unpack this just a little bit because this is one of the most messed up stories I have ever read in the Bible when I read it. So he makes a rash vow and says, whatever comes out of my house, I will offer as a burnt offering. Now, what did he expect to come out of his house? I mean, did he have an oxen living in his house? Did he have a lamb living in his house, a goat? Probably not. So this doesn't make sense to me. So I I dug in deeper because I was like, this story's always bugged me. And I actually went back to the Hebrew, which I'm not a Hebrew scholar. So I I just know just a little bit enough just to be dangerous probably, okay? But if you go back and look at the original words, uh, it actually means that which goes up. So instead of a, when you think of a burnt offering, it means that which goes up. And the word sacrifice um, is the idea of giving it up. So some people think that the idea was that he was going to lay it on the altar before God. Like we might say here, God, whatever comes up, I'm going to give that over to you fully as though it's consumed. I'm going to give that fully up to you. So that's one possibility. So like if it's if it is my family, my family is going to be dedicated to you. My whole life is going to be dedicated to you. Other people think that the uh, the word house there, not they think, but it is actually true. The word house there can be translated house or household, okay? So it could be that he's on this horse about to go into battle. And he looks off and sees the cattle of someone's property, and he says, you know what? Whatever I see first in my household when I come back, I'm going to give that to God, thinking that most likely it's going to be a bull or a lamb or a sheep because that's what lives outside of his home. Does that make sense? So that that may have been his thought. That's kind of where I lean towards, like this is my household. I'm looking at this other person's household, all these animals they've got around it. You know what, God? When I get back from this battle, whatever I see First, if it's a bull, if it's a lamb, if it's a goat, I don't care if it's my best. That's what I'm going to sacrifice on the altar for you, okay? That was his rash vow. Whatever whatever it was, that's what we see. And so I just want to encourage you, don't make a rash promise to God or anybody else. It's a bad idea. But how many of us have done it? Lord, if you'll just get me out of this one situation, if you'll get me out of this one situation, I promise I will never miss church again. Lord, if you'll just heal this one situation with my wife or my husband, my my my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, I will treat them better than I ever have, and I will never lie to them again. Lord, if you will just give me an A on this paper so I can pass this class, I know it'll be a miracle and I'll always study diligently after that again. You ever made these rash promises? Am I the only one Is this resonating? Lord, if you'll just make my business successful, I'll always make a promise. I won't work on Sundays and I'll give my best to you and I'll honor you and all, right? Now, truth is, we should just live that way all the time right? We we should seek to honor God in all things that we do, but be careful of those rash promises that we make. And I just encourage you, choose not to make them. The third thing is that God will accomplish his purposes even through imperfect people. Steve Chapman just talked about that in communion, didn't he? The Bible says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Had somebody come to me this week, and they, they were talking to me. They had some friends come with them. And he said, you know, Steve, what they said when they left? They said, you know, what they liked about you? He didn't say my great Hebrew or my great Greek skills or any of that. He said, it's the fact that when you talk about the struggles, you include yourself. That you you're not above the people. I was like, that's because I'm preaching to myself because I know I need to listen to this word as much or more than anybody else out here because we are all folks that are prone to temptation and sin. And apart from Jesus Christ forgiving me and apart from the Holy Spirit filling me, I will mess this thing up royally. And I can assure you, you will too. We need God. We need his wisdom We need his love, we need his clarity, we need his truth, we need to surrender all to him. And the good news is God uses imperfect people. Verse 32 says, so Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him the victory. Who gave him the victory? The Lord gave him the victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aurora to an area near Minas. As far away as Abel Karamum, find that in your GPS. <laughs> in this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. The Lord gave them the victory. But he wasn't a perfect leader. He, he was running with a bunch of thugs. And, and on top of that, he made these rash promises. And he was prideful. We see that he wanted to make sure he had power over the whole area. If, they were gonna, if he was going to do this, he wanted to make sure he made the ruler. This guy was not a perfect soul. But there was something inside of him that he chose to dedicate what he had to God. And that, that's what I want to say to you. I don't know where you're at in life right now, but I, there is something that God has seen inside of you, and that's why you're here. He's called you here. He's got a plan for you. But you got to take what he's put inside of you. You got to walk it out. You got to be willing to say, yes, Lord. But God uses imperfect people all the time. Go through the list, right? You got Adam and Eve, his perfect kids. I mean, they were the perfect kids. I mean, like, they were created perfectly. And they had one assignment. You got this whole garden. Just stay away from those trees right there in the middle. They failed. Right, And and then you go and and you got Noah, who's the one righteous man on the whole planet, spends over 100 years, it looks like, to build this boat to rescue all of civilization, gets off the boat, gets drunk. Then he gets mad at his kid that found him drunk. It's like, man, he was doing so well for over 100 years. What happened, Noah? He's an imperfect person being used by a perfect God to do amazing things then you move on you got moses moses went into ministry because he got kicked out of a country because he killed somebody got stuck in the wilderness for 40 years and then god calls him supernaturally to set the people free then you got rahab that was a prostitute david killed an innocent man because he wanted his wife paul uh, arrested had christians persecuted You go through the list. God uses imperfect people to do his perfect will. So that's good news for you and I. That means there's a place for everybody in here to have a seat on the boat. There's a place for everybody in here to have a part in the mission of God. It may be where you're working, on the job. You may be the only light in that darkness. It may be where you're in school. You may be the only person that's willing to stand up for your faith. It may be where you're in your family, and you may be the only Christian right now in your family, and their whole family needs the hope of Christ, and you're the one that God's called as an imperfect person to share his perfect message. And if you're imperfect, guess what? Who knows it more than anybody? Is it not your family? It's amazing to me. I can be 53 years old, but my aunts and uncles, my cousins, all those, they all remember what I did when I was 16, right? Right? And it's amazing how quickly we can remember those things and identify with those things and those failures. But God can use imperfect people to do his perfect will. Well, I think for you and I, we have a chance. We have a chance to do something great for the kingdom, but we got to say yes. And when we mess up, we got to fess up and move on because that's what Jepsa didn't do. Look at the fourth thing. Acknowledge and turn away from your pride and bad decisions. Are you here today and you've messed up quite a bit? Are you here today and you made some promises to God that you didn't follow up on? Are you here today and you said, Lord, if you just do this, I'll do that, and you didn't follow through on your part? Are you here today and you're just hurting deeply and you're just wondering, what do I do? Well, you go to the Lord and you just get on your knees and you say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. Whatever that is, Lord, I forgive me for what I didn't do right. Help me, Lord, to figure out what the next step is. Jephthah made a rash promise. And then all of a sudden, things went awry. Look at verse 34 to 40, chapter 11 still. It says, when Jepsah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy, as a sweet little girl should. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out. You have completely destroyed me. You brought disaster on me, for I've made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Let me pause right there for just a minute. This is why I believe the proper word is household. Obviously, he is distressed that a a person came out and greeted him first. I don't think when he made the rash vow to God, he was thinking it was going to be an individual. I think he very much thought it would be a beast an animal that he owned, okay? So now he's in this moment. He's in this oh snap moment, right? That moment when you said something and all of a sudden you realize how stupid it was and and sadly Jephthah, in his pride, what does he do? He blames his daughter. Look at what he says here. You, talking to his daughter, you have completely destroyed me. You have brought disaster on me. He's blaming his daughter for his stupidity and sin. Okay. Honesty, right now, how many times have we blamed a, a coworker for our failure? How many times have we blamed a spouse for our failure? How many times have we blamed a friend for dragging us down? How many times have we blamed a, a sibling for leading us in the wrong path and us following. Now, when you're younger, yes, that does take place. But when you've come to the place where you know Christ and you're an adult, you're paddling your own canoe. It's time to quit throwing stuff and blaming your parents and blaming your grandparents and blaming your neighbors and blaming this and blaming that. And, and It's time to realize you, you are given the Holy Spirit when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And you need to take responsibility for your own life and your own decisions. And we're living in a day where everybody else wants to go, you're the reason I've got problems. You're the reason the economy in my life is failing. You're the reason I'm this. You're the reason I'm that. And it's time for us to get humble and start acknowledging, God, my decisions have led me to this point. God, I have made the wrong actions take place. Will you forgive me when you mess up, fess up and move on? Jephthah did not do that. Listen, maybe you've lived 60 years with unhealthy and ungodly patterns and you think it's too late. People just mock me now and they'll make fun of me now if I make a change. It's a lie from the devil. You know, some of our greatest leaders in Christianity didn't even come to the Lord until they were in their late 40s or or 50s. One of my heroes, his name was Shubal Stearns. Never heard of the guy, you never will, because he he didn't get born again until he was 41 years old. Got so excited, he didn't know what to do, so he just went back to his hometown, started preaching, and a church popped up. He didn't know anything else to do except that his family members in the next town, they needed that same hope too. So he started preaching over there, another church popped up. And then he started raising up young men to go and pop up other churches. By the time they got done, the history now shows over 240 churches can be traced back to that one church that got started. It's where I got inspiration for church planting is reading that story going, wow, 240, that." You could impact the world a whole lot more than just with one. He didn't even get saved until he was 41 years old. Listen, if you're breathing, it's not too late to change. Everybody breathing in here? If not, call 911. It's not too late to change. God wants to do a new work in your life, but you've got to turn away. Let's move on, verse 36. She said, Father... If you made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said, and he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and, and wept because she could never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made and she died a virgin. So it has become a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. Now, I don't know if he physically killed her and sacrificed her. That would make no sense whatsoever because clearly the Bible says murder is a sin. And so what's the greater sin? To break a vow that was a stupid vow in the first place or to murder your own kid? And the Jews found the the sacrifice of children, abhorrent in their culture, which was one of the reasons why they tried to eliminate, wanted to eliminate all the pagan worship that was there. Some people believe because it's mentioned three times in here, in verse 37, 38, and 39, it mentioned her dying a virgin, it mentioned never having children, and it meant uh, that she would go with her friends and they would all remorse over the fact that she would die a virgin that perhaps his way of of honoring that was to say, you will never be married. You will always be dedicated to the work of God. It's possible. Either way, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that in this point, he chose to keep his pride and hurt his daughter. I want to say to you today that many folks in here, we, we need to to get rid of our pride and choose to follow Christ. Pride will get in your way every time. You know, we give the invitation to come forward, and and you don't have to come forward to get saved. Listen, you can pray right there in your seat right now. You can acknowledge your sin and turn away from it and call on Christ, and he will rescue you. I know people that got saved while they're driving in the car. I know people that got saved in a park. I know people that got saved in the mountains. I know, listen, it's not the location, but it is the condition of the heart. And as we took the Lord's Supper today, Steve challenged you to look at the condition of your heart. Is there something there? I'm going to invite all of you to stand with me. If you would stand where you're at. Now, we've been doing this for several months. Uh, but the way we're doing this is this side over here is if you need to just come and get something right with Jesus and talk to Jesus about something. Or if you have a family member or a friend that, that you want to, to bring that name before the Lord and present it before the Lord, we've are we got these markers up here and you can write all over the stage. We're putting in names of people so that you can uh, present that to the Lord. You're free to do that. Over here on this side, we have these kneeling... Uh, mentions, and if you want to come and kneel and, and we use this stage as an altar and you want to come and we'll have staff members, deacons, uh, ministers come and, and pray over you, listen to you, pray over you, whatever that might be, whatever you're walking through. If you need to spend some time just pouring your heart out. You know, we talked about freedom prayer. We we do freedom mm-hmm. prayers during the week, but we also have folks in the back in the prayer room back here. They'll be glad to listen and pray. I'll be up front. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I would love to help lead you into a journey with him. I would love to help you understand what it means to say, yes, Lord. To repent, to turn away from your pride and your poor decisions and to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm all in. I'll be down front. And as I, as we do, feel free to come. If you don't come, then pray until we get to the chorus and then sing it out loud, all right? All right, lead us in that, please, Eli. Hey, guys, thanks so much for checking us out online today.
0: If you want more information about the church or things that's going on here, be sure to check out therivercc.com or download our app and visit us there. Also, as we go through the Bible this year, we want to help keep you engaged on what's being read and talked about each week. To do that, we have a podcast called The Word This Week, which will recap each week's readings as well as have special guests who will talk about what God showed them that week. So be sure to check that out on all podcast streaming platforms. And again, thanks so much for checking us out online.